It's been a long month without local Sunday sports. Let's change that on New Year's Eve. Eve. Yeah, I know, that's not a thing. Sorry. Anyway, to close out 2021, we're talking about the fall sports title winners. As you remember, football had one local representative for all seven divisions who took home a state title, plus soccer and volleyball in the mix. Then we'll talk about the top team in the AFC North. Sorry, Cleveland Browns, that's not you. It is the Cincinnati Bengals. And then the best D1 team in Ohio. Nope, not that team in Columbus. It's the Cincinnati Bearcats as they look to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide in the college football playoffs. And then the Gem City Jam has returned in some form as Wright State and Dayton set to battle on the hardwood again. All that and a little bit more on the Local Sunday Sports Podcast, episode 225. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is an audio podcast that covers local sports in Southwest Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and East Central Indiana. When the host promises that all teams in the region are covered, that's a fact. No talking about that team in Columbus. Other people in Dayton have that covered. Hear from a host with experience covering several schools and teams and working with several media organizations. No luck required here, buddy. No insults thrown here, fans. Everyone is welcome to the local sports podcast train. Intro theme is Ultraviolet by Infraction from Upbeat. Visit sindaypod.com, spelled C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D.com for ways to listen to the podcast and to buy merchandise. Now, please welcome your host, Lee W. Mowen. Let's waste a little time. Let's finally talk about state title winners for fall sports. And again, all apologies for now getting to it. I know football's been done for over a month now. But, hey, I mean, with my busy schedule, family comes first, then work, and then podcast. And time has been very, very sparse. But I don't like making excuses. I just like talking about local sports because someone in Dayton has to. So let's talk about... Football. As I mentioned in the intro, seven teams represented Southwest Ohio. And I know I'm going to have a lot of complaints saying, oh, well, the Mac schools aren't in Southwest Ohio. Yes, they are because they're in the Miami Valley. And if you remember the map I had saying, this is what I talk about many, many moons ago. Actually, it might be on SydneyPod.com. I don't remember what's on the website anymore. If you remember, that is part of the coverage area. Miami Valley, then Tri-State area. That's what I consider Southwest Ohio. Technically, yes, the Mac schools are in Northwest Ohio, but it's stupid. And I disagree with that. But for the sake of this podcast, yes, we did have local representatives in all seven divisions, which uh, is outstanding. So let's start with the first one. We are going to go out of order because they played the divisions out of order. I don't know why that is, but they did. 
Let's start with Division 2. The local representative, Thursday, December 2nd, Cincinnati Winton Woods. And Winton Woods took down Archbishop Hoban 21 to 10, holding Hoban to three points in the second quarter and a touchdown in the third. Neither team could score in the first or the fourth. Winton Woods with two touchdowns in the second, one in the third. Let me tell you. If you know Division II football in the state of Ohio, you know Archbishop Hoban is pretty damn good. And if you know your Cincinnati football, you know Wenton Woods is pretty damn good. And you might know that Wenton Woods this year went a head coaching change for the first time in quite some time. Andre Parker, last year's head coach of Wenton Woods, took the job at Princeton, had himself a very good year with the Vikings. And now Chad Murphy took over and led the Warriors to a state title. You know, I wasn't sure about Winton Woods to begin because it was kind of a rough start for the Warriors. Normally, Winton Woods just cruises on through and, you know, maybe their first or second loss will be in the playoffs, but not this year. Winton Woods, they took care of business in the playoffs and they won the Division II state title. It's the second one for Winton Woods as we'll recap the stats now, which were handled by the OHSAA, which is very nice. However, I have to laugh because uh, Winton Woods' initials are Cincinnati Winton Woods, CWW, but Hoban's is Ah! And that makes me laugh. Winton Woods picked up one more first down than Hoban, 13 to 12. Uh, 11 to 9 first downs of rushing for Winton Woods. Hoban had one more passing first down, 3-2, to two, and neither team got a first down via penalties. That's pretty outstanding. Rushing-wise, the Warriors ran for 288 yards on 42 attempts, which is an average of about 7 yards per rush. And Hoban held to 127 on 35, which is 3.6 yards per rush. Three rushing touchdowns for Winton Woods. 333 positive yardage on rushing to 45 negative against the Warriors. That sets your 288. For the Hoban squad, 148 positive, 21 negative. Through the air, well, not much to write about. 65 to 33 Hoban. And one interception thrown by Hoban, 7 of 18, which is 3.6 yards per attempt 9.3 yards per completion for Hoban 8.2 yards per completion for Winton Woods 4 of 6 so yeah Winton Woods they ran the ball down Hoban's throat and they enjoyed it the Warriors with 321 total yards of offense to Hoban's 192 so needless to say Winton Woods had a great rushing attack Tyreek Spikes led the core with 168 One touchdown, one touchdown for Austin Ellery on 10 rushes, 92 yards, four rushes, 60 yards, one touchdown, Casey Spears, and two rushes, 13 yards, no touchdowns for James Miner III. That's for Winton Woods. Austin Ellery, the quarterback, four of six, 33 yards, no touchdowns, no sacks. Now we look at Archbishop Hoban. Lamar Spearling, 121 yards, no touchdowns, 24 rushes. Javian Crable, 10 rushes, 26 yards, and one rushing yard, one rush, Devonta Baskerville for Hoban. 
Through the air, Javian Crable, 7 of 17 with one pick, no touchdowns, four sacks, 65 yards. Sean Parnell, his only throw for Hoban was incomplete. Receiving wise, well, again, not a lot to talk about in this category. Rushing was the main star in D2. Derek Lawson led it for Winton Woods, three targets, two catches, 21 yards. For Hoban, it was three catches on four attempts, 12 yards. For Lamar Spearling and Sean Parnell, two of four for 20 yards. Also, Baskerville, 20 yards on his only catch. So, needless to say, it was a rushing attack for Winton Woods, and it won them their second ever title. So, congrats going out to Winton Woods for leading it off and making the local teams 1 0 with their Thursday night win on the second. You know, I thought it was a lot earlier than it was. So actually, we're within the month. Score me. Second local team as we move on to Division 4, the always tough, always pesky Clinton Massey Falcons from Clarksville. Or if you really know your area, in the middle of nowhere in Clinton County. That's why it's Clinton. Massey is the township. You almost learned something today, didn't you? They took on... Youngstown Ursuline. This is also a very good program in D4. So Clint Massey started off with a 7-0 lead. And then Ursuline put 28 points up compared to Falcons, another 7. But the fourth quarter, Massey really shined with 15 points, including the go-ahead two-point conversion to win 29-28. I think oh, 45 seconds left. I was going to say they had a minute left when they did that, but nope. Not the case. So we look through the stats. Ursuline did get more first downs on the game. 20-16 to 16 over Clinton Massey, which the initials also make me laugh. Urs and CCM. So 20-16 first downs for Ursuline. However, Clinton Massey got all their first downs via the rushing. 16-11, nine first downs through the air for Ursuline. And again, no first downs through penalties. You know, we see a couple of those per game, but uh, yeah. Rushing-wise, well, I told you Clinton Massey got all the first downs on the ground. I don't think this comes as a surprise that Clinton Massey outran Ursuline 345 to 185. This is a very heavy, run-heavy Clinton Massey team. 52 rushing attempts for 345 yards and four touchdowns compared to 35 rushes, 185 yards, two touchdowns for Ursuline. And the Falcons actually picked up 354 yards on the ground. Only lost nine yards. Same for Arsline. Only lost nine yards, but picked up 194. Passing-wise, well, I, I told you Clinton Massey, it's a run-heavy team. This number shouldn't surprise you either. 185-1 to Arsline. That's through the air. 15-28, no interceptions for the Irish. 1-3 for Clinton Massey for a yard. Total offensive yardage, Ursuline actually outgained Clinton Massey, 370-346. And looking through the individual stats for Ursuline, Demarcus McElroy, two touchdowns. And actually, that's rushing. Excuse me. Let's go through passing first. Brady Shannon, two touchdowns, one sack, no interceptions, 50 and 28 for 185 yards. Cody Zantine, one of three for one yard, and he was sacked once. Rushing wise, let's start with Ursuline because there's less to talk about. McElroy ran for 162 yards and two touchdowns on 26 rushes. 
nine keeps for Brady Shannon, the quarterback, for 32 yards. Actually, 28 yards, 157 yards for McElroy. No touchdowns. Now we look at Clinton Massey. 19 rushes, 117 yards, no touchdowns for Colton Trampler. Carson Van Hoos, a touchdown with 102 yards on 15 rushes. The quarterback, Cody Zantine, 85 yards, two touchdowns, seven keeps. Carter Frank, nine rushes, 42 yards. And a team with two rushes and a negative yard in there. Receiving the only yard was Carson Van Hoos, one yard on two targets, one catch. Dean Boyd led the receiving core for Ursuline, 6 of 11, one touchdown, 69 yards. And Irving, Kalen Irving with 72 yards, one touchdown, three of six. And that's how Clinton Massey won. Again, the Falcons, 15 points in the fourth quarter to win it. Again, the Two-point conversion, which once I saw that on Twitter, I was like, oh, that's how Massey's going to lose it, isn't it? A comeback. And nope. Clinton Massey ran it in for the score. 29-28, the Falcons with a state title. I tell you, uh, when you think of Division Four football, I know my alma mater, Valley View's in the mix most of the time. Wyoming and Cincinnati. Uh, Clinton Massey should be in there. I mean, just those three teams alone, I mean... That's great competition. And this year, Clinton Massey got through. Wyoming, yeah, perfect regular season. Just didn't have enough to leapfrog the Falcons. And Clinton Massey, 13-1, 14-1 on the year. They pick up the state title. And our first local loss happens in the next game, Division Three, Representing the area, number two, Hamilton-Baden. They had number one, Chardon, against them. And the Rams fell 21-14. The Chardon team scored a touchdown in the first, the third, and the winning one in the fourth. A touchdown in the second and the third for Hamilton Baden. And Hamilton Baden had themselves no leads in the game. They tied it up twice, could not tie it up a third time. On to the team stats. First downs, Chardon with 11 to Baden's 8. And Chardon got most of those on the ground, 10 to 5 rushing. But Baden had one more passing first down, 2 to 1. And our first penalty first down went to Baden, and the only one of that game. Rushing wise, Chardon out rushed the Rams 192 81. Passing wise, Baden out through Chardon 62 41. I believe they're the Hill Climbers, but I don't remember. So, in case you're wondering why I'm not saying the team name, it's because I don't remember it. Sorry. Through the air, Baden was 7 of 17 for 62 yards, one pick. And Chardon only went to the air five times, completing two of those for 41 yards. So, three games so far, it's been the rushing. For Hamilton Baden, leading the rushing core for 96 yards and a touchdown, Jack Walsh. Carter Russo had a touchdown on his only run, six yards, one touchdown, and six rushes, but negative 21 yards, Alex Ritzy for Baden. Chardon, they have six, leading the way with 88 yards and a touchdown was Andrew Bruce. Alex Henry with 54 yards. He carried the ball most of the day. He is also the quarterback. 54 yards, 19 rushes. And Sean Carr, the 
Only have a rushing touchdown for Chardon. 33 yards, 13 rushes, 1 TD. Through the air, Alex Henry, again, 2 of 5. One touchdown, however. He threw that to Nathaniel Solka, who picked up 36 yards on his only target and catch. Sean Carr, 5 yards, 1 of 2. And Alex McDonald, 2 targets, no catches. For Baden, Alex Ritzy led the way, 7 of 16, no touchdowns, one pick and three sacks for 62 yards. Jack Walsh threw the ball once, it was incomplete. For Baden leading the way, no touchdowns for the Rams receiving core, but Braden Moore had 33 yards, 3 of 10, 2 of 3, 20, uh, excuse me, 16 yards for Jack Walsh. Cooper Fearer with one catch on his only target, eight yards, and one of three, Eric Rawlings, for five yards. So, Baden, they did stay in the game most of the time, but when I was listening to, what is that, 1450? I can't ever remember the frequency name. It's WMOH. I was listening to that on way to Princeton Basketball, I believe. And my good friend and one-time guest of this podcast, Jeremy Lance, had the sideline duties. He's been on the sideline crew for WMO at WMOH, not W. Maybe that was the uh, frequency letters for uh, the uh, the FM station for sports for a few months in Cincinnati. I don't remember what that one was either. But anyway, Jeremy Lance was on the sideline call. Hamilton Baton just it was tough for the Rams. It's also tough for Chardon to get anything going because you just. You know, you just heard a lot of punts, 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 and yet, uh, yeah, Bain just couldn't get really much going. Did stay in the game and held Chardon to 21 points. You know what? Losing your first and only game to a team that went undefeated, nothing to hang your heads about, fellas. And now we talk about our fourth local team and the second loss. It's for the biggest division, Ohio, D1. Representing the area from Clark County, Springfield and the Wildcats. They took on St. Edward and Springfield fell 23 to 13. This is a game where St. Edward. Why is it LS? Oh, because it's uh, Lakewood. Never mind. I was like, why is it LSC? It just looks like LaSalle. Like, wait, when did the Lancers jump to D1? Sorry. St. Edward had a 7-0 lead and a safety to boot in the second. Seven points in the first, a touchdown in the first and the third for St. Edward, a touchdown and a safety in the second for St. Edward. Are they the Wildcats too? No, I'm thinking St. Ignatius. Eagles? I don't remember. Springfield had a touchdown in the second and a touchdown in the fourth without the two-point conversion. So Springfield fell by 10. Again, tough loss, but if you're going to have... Only your second loss of the year in the playoffs like that. There's nothing to hang your heads about, fellas. I know the Wildcats will be back. Great coaching staff. Great kids in Clark Counties. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Springfield again. In case you're wondering who the first loss was to, I believe it was week nine, maybe week 10, Miamisburg. And the Vikings edge out the Wildcats 22-21. I miss giving out the scores. But again... Families first, work second, and when all that takes up your time, yeah, podcast has to go on the back burner. Springfield actually picked up more first downs in the game, 22-18 to 18 over St. Edward, but rushing-wise, 
St. Edward had that category by a mile, 13 to 2. Passing wise, Springfield has it by a mile, 19 to 5. And the Wildcats have just the second penalty first down on the state title games. Again, not sure why there's so few of those. I mean, we have about like three or four of those per game in the regular season, at least I thought. Well, we look at rushing. St. Edward outrushed Springfield 270 to negative 30. That's right, the rushing game. A bit tough for the Wildcats. 20 rushes, negative 30 yards. That's a average of negative one and a half, but one rushing touchdown for the Wildcats. For St. Edward, 270 on 46 rushes, which is close to six yards per rush and two rushing touchdowns to go. Springfield, well, they just flooded the air with 349 yards. However, two picks, 29 at 44. Compared to St. Edward, 86, 8 of 12. Average per attempt, very close. Springfield edged that out 7.9 to 7.2. And per completion, well, the Wildcats, 12 yards per completion to 10.8. And both teams had one touchdown through the air. Which means Springfield had 319 yards of total offense. St. Edward, 356. Let's look at the individual stats, starting with Springfield. Rushing-wise, well, one of the big reasons why Springfield went negative 30, the team had one rush for negative 22 yards, and Deshaun Smoot, the quarterback for Springfield, he picked up 39 yards, but he also lost 46. That gives him negative 7. However, he does have the lone Wildcat rushing touchdown. 14 keeps for Smoot. And all the other quarter are the running backs rather combined for five rushes, three. No, excuse me. Negative one yard. Ramon Broder had three yards on his one rush. Delian Bradley had negative four on three rushes. And Tyron Barnes had no loss, no gain on his only touch. Through the ground, through St. Edward, Danny Nokvich. Inovich, I should say, 210 positive yardage, 32 rushes, two touchdowns, and the quarterback, Christian Ramos, 14 keeps, 60 yards, no touchdowns. Through the air to Sean Smoot, one touchdown, 349 yards, two interceptions, 29 of 43, and he was sacked five times. On the other side, Christian Ramos sacked no times, no interceptions, one touchdown, 8 of 12 for 86 yards. With the lone reception touchdown for Springfield, it was Anthony Brown. He made six catches of 14 targets for 103 yards. Leading the way in yardage was Sean Thigpen, 105 yards, 10 of 12. And Christian McMillian, 4 of 5 for 27 yards. 3 of 3, Delian Bradley, 44 yards. 2 of 2, Javen Norman with 28 yards. 2 of 4 for Dalen Bradley, 25 yards. And making one catch on one target, 13 yards, Edward Muhammad. And one catch, one target, four yards, Dominic Turner. On the other side, a smaller lineup for St. Edward. But Connor Goodall had the lone reception touchdown, 3 of 5, 42 yards. 2 of 2, Jackson Miller, 16 yards. 2 of 4, Ryan Miklich with 10. 1 of 1, Rayshon Manning Jr. with 18. So Smoot had... You know, two picks, five sacks. That's the offensive line. Just, you know, I shouldn't say that's the offensive line, but that doesn't help matters. What if Smoot threw one less pick? What if Smoot got sacked one less time? 
I think Springfield would have been closer to that, but considering those numbers, the Wildcats hung in there tough, but unable to bring home the state title. I believe it was the first time ever for Springfield to make the state title game. But again, like I said, next year, I wouldn't be surprised if Springfield got back in the fold. But that's just me. I'm not a psychic. I'm not telling you to go pick out numbers. And now we talk about the final day of football state title games. We'll start off, and this is the MAC day as well. We'll start off with Marion Local. If you know your area football, you know Dominance has a picture of the Marion Local Flyers football team smack dab in your Marion Webster dictionary. If not, it's probably time for a new dictionary. This is a Marion Local team that dropped 21 points on Newark Catholic. They finished 14 and 2. And then seven more points in the second, 14 in the third, and running clock made it a scoreless fourth. Newark Catholic got their only touchdown on the game in the second quarter. So, yeah, your team stats Marion Local with 17 first downs to Newark Catholic's eight. 10 of the 17 went on the ground compared to 3 for Newark Catholic and 7 through the air for the Flyers to Newark Catholic's 5. And no uh, penalty first downs as well. Rushing-wise, the Flyers picked up 150 yards on the ground on 39 rushes, 3 rushing touchdowns for the Flyers, where Newark Catholic absolutely stuffed. 19 rushes, 45 yards, no touchdowns, and the average is 2.4. That's getting it done if you're the rush defense for Marion Local. For the Flyers' rushing offense, that's nearly four yards per rush and three touchdowns. And we look through the passing-wise, the Flyers, they flew with flying colors. How's that for two flying puns? (laughs) 252 yards through the air for Marion Local to New York Catholics 103. So again, the Flyers' defense, yeah, they showed up and the offense did too. 13 of 18 through the air for the Flyers with one pick, 12 of 26 for two picks, three throwing touchdowns for Marion Local, 2-1 for Newark Catholic. Individually, as we scroll down through, passing-wise, Peyton Audie, 13 of 18, one pick, three touchdowns, one sack, and his longest throw was a 51-yard bomb, which I believe was one of the three touchdowns. I was listening to it on, what was it, GBSN? which is uh, Columbus Outfit. Normally they do, I think they do, Ohio Dominican sports and, you know, Columbus High School. I think, if I'm thinking my right outfit. 252 yards, 13 of 18, one pick, three touchdowns, 51 yards being the longest. Cole Cantor, rough day for him. 12 of 26, 103 yards, one touchdown, two two picks, and three sacks. Rushing-wise, Peyton Audie, the quarterback, he led the rushing touchdown core with two on 65 yards. Darren Meyer, 54 yards, 19 rushes, one touchdown. Dylan Fleck, 16 yards, four rushes. Peyton Moeller, 15 rushes, excuse me, 15 yards on two rushes. Newark Catholic had five on the board. Mason Hackett, 31 yards, no touchdowns, nine rushes. The quarterback, Cole Cantor, seven keeps, 23 yards. And the other three combined for negative nine on three touches. Receiving-wise for Marion Local, Brady Ronnebaum, seven targets, six 
catches, 124 yards and two touchdowns. Two and two for Dylan Fleck for 64 yards, one touchdown, 56 yards, two and two, Connor Bruns. And Drew Louse, who happens to be the son of Michael Louse, who is a good friend of the podcast. Two of four, no touchdowns, six yards. And Owen Riddler, one catch, one target, two yards. Now we look at the receiving core for Newark Catholic. Tanner Elwell, he led the way with 40 yards for a seven. The only touchdown came to Mason Hackett and his only target. 10 yards, one touchdown. And, excuse me, Brandon Buchanan, 25 yards, two catches, 10 targets. So Cantor and Buchanan were not on the same page. That's Saturday morning. 12th state title for the Flyers. 12. Do I need to really say anything more about how dominant Marion Local was? I mean, I could, but 42 to 7, Flyers undefeated on the year. Yeah, I think that talks about itself like that. Now, Coldwater, second of third. I keep fic- second of third MAC teams. I keep wanting to say Mid American Conference, which I know that's not it, it's Midwest Athletic Conference. One is college. One is not. I think you can figure out which one is which. Coldwater actually got on the board first. It's weird. Their initials are CWC. Why can't it just be CW? Coldwater. It's not Coldwater, Coldwater. Yes, it's the village of Coldwater. Never mind. Although Carrie is car. There you go. Kerry Blue Devils won it 26-14, scoring 8 in the first, 15 in the second, and a field goal in the fourth. Coldwater, their offense went quiet in the second half, scoring a touchdown in the first and second, and that was it for the Cavaliers. Like I was starting to mention, Coldwater had the lead, and then Kerry took it away on a touchdown and a two-point conversion. And Coldwater would never get the lead again. In fact, the closest that Coldwater would get would be a touchdown to end the first half to get a 23-14. Carry out one more field goal to ice it for the Blue Devils. Team stats. 18-10 first downs favoring Carry. 15-3 on the ground favoring Carry. Through the air it favored Coldwater 7-3. And again, no penalty first downs. Is it just me? Is that not a normal thing in football? We've only had two of those so far. On the ground, well, it was Carey's day, and it was not Coldwater's day. 243 yards on the ground for Carey compared to Coldwater's 39. Three rushing touchdowns to Coldwater's one. Through the air, the Cavaliers led 205-79. to However, Carey only went through the air five times, completing three catches, no picks. Coldwater 13-32 with one pick, one passing touchdown. No passing touchdowns for Carey. They got their offense on the ground. Now the individual stats look like this. For the Cavaliers, leading the way in rushing with yardage, Isaac Fullenkamp, 32 yards, one touchdown, seven rushes. The quarterbacks, Marcel Blazingame and Reese Dellinger, combined seven touches, seven yards, no touchdowns. Actually, Dellinger rushed for 30 yards, but he also lost 27, so that gives him three. Blazing game, picked up five, lost one, that gave him four. 
Through the air, it was Dellinger 13-31 with one pick, one touchdown, 205 yards through the air, and sacked twice. Marcel Blazingame came in for one throw. He did not complete it. On the receiving side for Coldwater, Marcel Blazingame, he was 5-10 for 55 yards, 4-6 for Tanner Mullenkamp for 81 yards, one touchdown, the only throwing touchdown by Coldwater from Dellinger to Mullenkamp. Tyler Schwederman, two of six, seven yards. Jesse Meyer, one of nine, one yard. And Isaac Fullenkamp, one of one, four, negative two. Now for Carey, they have a bulk of names on the rushing side. Jordan Vallejo with 95 yards, two touchdowns, and a two-point conversion for 25 rushes. The quarterback, Derek Longsway, 21 keeps for 81 yards, one touchdown. Anthony Bell. No touchdowns, 28 yards and four rushes. Lance Woods, 22 yards, four rushes. Gage Summit, 14 yards, four rushes. Landon Kimmerly, one rush, four yards. Bryce Conti, two yards, one rush. Isaac Carmen, one rush, two yards. Lonsway through the air, just three of five, 79 yards and sacked once. Bryce Conti leading the receiving core for carry, 65 yards to a three. Lance Woods, one of one, 14. And E.J. Bowes, 0 of 1, did not haul in his only catch. Also, punting-wise, Jesse Meyer, 2 punts, 81 yards. For Coldwater, Anthony Bell for carry, 1 punt, 36 yards. So, tough loss for Coldwater, but hey, Cavaliers are a tough number. So, carry definitely earned that win, and Coldwater finishes 13-3. and And the last football state title game... It's the Versailles Tigers of Dark County going against Kirkland. You might have heard Kirkland, you know, having a, what was it, 55-game winning streak? Something like that, best in the state. Yeah, Versailles snapped it. And yes, I know, the score sounds very, very close when I say it, but it was all Versailles until the fourth quarter. 20-16, to Tigers claw out a state title win, and finishing 15-1, Kirkland falls for the first time. Since a long time. Actually, I don't. Uh, what would that be? Five and a half years? Something like that? Maybe even four with playoffs, Cannon? I don't know. But yeah, Tigers, six in the first, seven in the second, third in the fourth. That was enough to dispatch Kirkland, who only scored a field goal in the first three quarters, and then decided to kick on the Jets for 13 and could not score again. So, yeah. Versailles. Shut down Kirkland to the fourth quarter. It was too little too late for the Hornets. First downs, Tigers 18, Hornets 12. And the Tigers got more on both sides except penalty. Both teams have one. There's my penalty first downs. My favorite stat. Actually, it's not. I don't know why I said that. Versailles with nine rushing first downs to eight passing first downs. Kirkland seven rushing for passing And on the ground, Kirkland actually outgained the Tigers 162-134. Both teams with two rushing touchdowns. The average went Kirkland's way 5.4 yards per rush to Versailles 2.6 through the air. 129-101 Versailles. 8-12 for one pick. 5-14 for three picks for Kirkland. That's probably the reason why Kirkland was not close until the fourth quarter. Three picks will hurt you. I don't care who you are. And now the 
total offensive yards, both teams finished with 263. Both teams finished with 263. However, Versailles ran 19 more plays to get that number. Now on to the individual results. Wrestler Carson Bay. He actually fared pretty well in the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association Holiday Tournament. The 50th one, by the way. Well, he's the quarterback, too. He kept the ball 27 times, ran for 86 positive yardage, one touchdown. Jack Osborne, one touchdown, 45 yards, 22 rushes. Titus Garrett, one rush, four yards. Carson Bay through the air, 8 of 12, 129 yards, one sack, one pick, one touchdown. And his one touchdown was to Michael Osborne. He caught one of two targets for 24 yards and six points. The Mackle Downies, they play basketball for Versailles. Noah hauled in four of five for 68 yards. Eli, three of four for 37 yards. Jacob Carmen, his only target, he could not catch it. For Kirtland, rushing-wise, the there are three quarterbacks and three rushing. We'll start with the quarterback, Raymond Lascano. He rushed... For five yards, no touchdowns. Gage Sullivan, one touchdown, 118 yards on 13 rushes. Mason Russ, 13 rushes, 39 yards, one touchdown. Through the air, Lascano, 5-11, one pick, no touchdowns, one sack for 101 yards. And Gage Sullivan, Pierce Boyd combined. That is 0-3 with two picks from Sullivan. And that's where the bulk of the picks come from. Lascano, just one pick, which, you know, yeah. It happens sometimes. It's football. Sometimes your passes get tipped. Sometimes, you know, you think you have an open player and then, whoop, here's that defensive player. There it is. Receiving-wise, Kirkland was led by Pierce Boyd, 63 yards to a three. No receiving touchdowns on the day for the Hornets. Mason Russ, two of three, 32 yards, and one of three. Tommy Goglin, six yards. Gage Sullivan, Raymond Loscano, and Gino Blasini combined 0 for 5. So that means your local teams went four for seven in state title games. Again, four of seven. Not even Northeast Ohio could say they had a representative of all these state title games. Southwest Ohio can. And I know Northwest Ohio is going to claim the MAC teams, but I say get your hands off our Miami Valley teams. That's our area. And that is football covered in about 36 minutes. Wow. Seven games, 36 minutes. What's that average of? Oh, yeah, I don't care. Well, that'd be an average of over five minutes per. And with the magic of editing, getting a bottle of water and something to drink, because I need to save my voice for later today, I'm broadcasting at Fairmont. Let's talk about soccer state winners. We're going to start with girls first. And we're going to talk about three local teams. Actually, four if you want to count Ottawa Glandorf, which I know that's not in the Miami Valley. But you know what? Eh. <laughs> that's my response. I don't have a good response. Now, this was Friday, November the 12th at Lower.com Field. So, yeah, this is well over a month. And uh, I do apologize for not getting to this sooner. But, again, life gets life gets in the way sometimes. And... We had a representative from Southwest Ohio in all three divisions of the girls' soccer state title games. We'll start off with Division 1, and I'll be Mount Notre Dame taking on Walsh Jesuit. Mount Notre Dame came home winners 4-1 to one for the state title. In Division 2, Wyoming fell in penalty kicks to Chagrin Falls. So, 
on the max prep scoreboard, it says 0-0, but Chagrin Falls won it. But hey, you know, if you look at it this way, Wyoming... Oh, I hate that I have to sign in. And, of course, it's not going to tell me anything until I sign in. Oh, uh, penalty kicks went Chagrin Falls way, 4-2. So there you go. So Wyoming, again, first-year head coach, former Norfolk, Kentucky Norse, one that I actually got to announce at Wright State, actually. It's a small world after all. First year taking over the program, and you take them to the state title game, and your runners-up in the state. That's not too shabby. And Division Three. The Waynesville Spartans, representing the Southwestern Buckeye League, knock off Ottawa Glandorf, the fourth local team, 1-0. So, yeah, those are great results. I mean, again, I had the pleasure of covering Wyoming's win against Hamilton Baden at Beaver Creek. And in a minute, I'll tell you the boys' soccer results. And I also had the pleasure of covering Wyoming's boys' soccer win against Oakwood. They scored two goals in the first eight minutes, and that was kind of it. Now, in boys' soccer, this was Saturday, November 13th, so one day after. So not as old, but still. Sorry, it's a month and a half late. We have two of three state title games represented by a local team. And the other one, well, there's a Columbus team in it, and they won. So that's pretty cool. So we'll start off with Division One. Centerville just coming up short to St. Ignatius, 2-1. to one. The Elks, you know, that program's been so good for so long. It was only a matter of time before you saw Centerville in the state title game. And you know what? Again, falling in the state title game, nothing to hang your heads about. Yeah, of course you want to come home with a state title. Don't tell me otherwise. But... Hey, you were the last team standing. So now we look at the Wyoming Cowboys. Good friend Adam Jones. His Cowboys made history this year. Not only did they get through their first regional final, but they got their first state title. Wyoming Cowboys won. Bay Rockets nil. Had to make sure that wasn't Bay Village Bay. No, that is Bay Village Bay. Because, you know things. And I believe this is Division 3, Grandview Heights, the Columbus team, 4, Crestview 2. Actually, where is Crestview? Is that Northern, Northwestern Ohio? Let's find out together, because why not? Columbiana, Ohio. I don't think that is. So there you go. I mean, you're a Columbus team. I don't know how easy it is to get access to lower.com field. I know TQL Stadium, the plan was to have something special there, but I don't know if that's ever going to come to fruition or not. Hopefully so, and hopefully it's Princeton Vikings playing there, you know, so I can broadcast from there. That'd be great. No, Grandview Heights, defending home turf, defending home. That's pretty cool. So that's your soccer results. And that gives us a chance to head over to volleyball. So again, Wyoming, the only school to have all four of their teams in the playoffs, which again, yes, in Ohio, outside football, everyone makes it. And, you know, football, it's now top 16. If you fall along Division One, Region 4, which is the Cincinnati Bruiser, as I like to call it, everyone made it because Western Hills opted out. So that means Oak Hills, who went 0-10, got into the playoffs. And, you know, you can have your own argument on that. But 
hey, sometimes it happens. I do like the 16 teams. It means more playoffs. It's a pity I only got to see one game with Princeton because Spectrum knocked me off. And I think it's a load of crap that Spectrum's allowed to do that because I've covered Princeton all year and you're just coming in and taking money out of my pockets and an opportunity to broadcast to the Princeton faithful. So, yeah, as you can tell, I have a strong distaste for being kicked out of the playoffs in week two. I think that's a bunch of crap. And I know my haters, which I can't believe I said that. I know my haters are going to say, well, that's because you suck. <laughs> you know, you should stop ragging 1410. <laughs> Announcers aren't supposed to put themselves into this. <laughs> Yeah, um, you're an idiot. There you go. And I know, I said I wouldn't insult people, but um, I think that was well-deserved. Let's find out where the state title games are on here, because it's all different, and that makes me sad that I'm singing along. Well, maybe the big underlying link that says state tournament coverage. That might help. I don't know. So... Back again at Wright State University. It's been held there since... Um, actually, it's been held there for a long time. I don't think since the opening in 1990. No, because it would have been December and state title games would have been done by then. I think they went there in the 90s and it's been there except last year because, you know, COVID. So let's look at the bracket for Division One. This is volleyball, remember, in case you forgot what I was saying. The state title, well, in Division One, your last local team would have fell in the state semifinal. Again, Mount Notre Dame. They were swept by Magnificent and then won the state title over Columbus's Olentangy Liberty by winning in four. So, yeah, the closest local team fell in the state semifinal via the sweep. But, hey, Magnificent was also a second seed team, so that's not bad. How about Division Two, And the closest local team fell in five in the state title game. That would have been Roger Bacon and the Spartans. Gilmore Academy won it in five, and the fifth set went 15-12 to 12 Lancers over Roger Bacon. And Roger Bacon, their win into the state semifinal, they took out Hamilton Baden via the sweep. If you know Hamilton Baden volleyball, you know boys and girls. Very, very good programs. So Roger Bacon, great year, just fell three points shy of winning the whole kit and caboodle for Cincinnati. Now, Division Three, your last local team would have been Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, and they were swept in the state semi by Liberty Benton. And Liberty Benton would sweep independence for the state title. Looking around, this is actually the division where there's not a lot of local teams. This is mostly Northwest Ohio. Actually, I see Dayton Christian. They fell to CHCA in a sweep to start off the district final. Versailles actually fell in a sweep in the regional final. I should have checked that before opening my big mouth, but there you go. And lastly, Division 4. This is last division in volleyball. No, I don't know why it's Division 1, 2, 3 for soccer and Division 1 through 4 for volleyball, but it just is. Your state champion. And it was a battle of local MAC schools. New Knoxville. They upset number one seed St. Henry in four. 
St. Henry knocked off Monroeville in the state semi to get to the state title game. New Knoxville, they won in four against South Webster, which was another upset of a top seed. So congrats to the Rangers. It's great to see. And St. Henry, you know, two sets away. You got to feel proud. You play for a state final not too far away. I say not too far away. That's probably about an hour and a half from Wright State, but hey, they're in the area. Looking for some other local teams. Fort Loramie, they were swept by St. Henry before the state semis. And Fort Loramie actually had pretty nice cruising until they met up with the fellow Redskins. Both schools are the Redskins. And before you ask, no, both schools don't look like they're changing that name at any time soon. Your opinion goes here. And I think that's all the local teams. If you want to go Columbus, Newark Catholic got up to the regional final, fell to South Webster, who fell to New Knoxville, who then would win the state title over St. Henry in four sets. That is officially fall sports in the books. Football, soccer, volleyball. And congrats to all the local teams that made it that far. Congrats to the local teams that pulled down state titles. This podcaster, this broadcaster, this announcer is proud of you. And it's great to see local teams continuing to do great things in this area. Now, we talk about the Cincinnati Bengals after this quick drink and stopping of the program. You know, if my cats would stop playing in plastic bags around my podcasting desk, that'd be great. But then again, why do I have plastic bags around my desk? Mainly for my trash can. But there you go. Anyway... Hear them Bengals growling. No, I'm not going to do that again. I did that in a previous episode. Go back and listen to it. I actually pulled up the song and I think I sung like the first verse of it or something. I don't know. Hootay, Bengals fans. And oh my, the Cleveland Browns are in last place in the AFC North. It's like nature's healing itself, you know? One year, and you think, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, you got to play through the season. One year, and your heads expand five million times. See, you know, I used to be sympathetic with you Browns fans, because, yeah, you deserve good football, but then it turned you into monsters. And now, hmm. So, we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals, and as you might know, on scores, I stopped giving the ones for Steelers, Browns, and Colts. I thought about doing that around the area. Nah, because I'm tired of all the crap the Bengals get in Dayton Radio. Bengals can win the AFC North, and a lot of respect, they take down the Kansas City Chiefs. First, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals season before we get up to that point. Joe Burrow, looking like what we were hoping for once we drafted him. Yeah. I'd say he's definitely worthy worthy of the top draft pick a couple years ago. This is a Bengals team that is coming off a very strong win against the Baltimore Ravens, 41-21, and that's two straight after picking up a 15-10 defensive win at Denver. And I know what you're saying. Baltimore was damaged and scratched up, COVID and all that, blah, 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 blah. Still a win. Can't take that away from the Bengals. And it's the first time since 2009 that Cincinnati has swept Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Just because I haven't talked about it. That was a 41-10 smashing of the Steelers at Paul Brown Stadium, which is tied for the biggest margin of victory for Cincinnati 
since 1989. Yeah. What more can I say about that? Just Pittsburgh looked like crap. Cincinnati did not look like crap. In case you're wondering where 10 points came from, Pittsburgh kicked a field goal in the first half and then scored, I think, their last possession of the game. Whereas, you know, Baltimore, yes, no Lamar Jackson. No, Tyler Huntley as well. Huntley actually looked pretty solid against Green Bay, so I was kind of worried. You know, I thought, you know, you know, Huntley's going to look pretty good. Oh, he got COVID, so it's Josh Johnson, which he's bounced around a lot. I thought he retired, actually, before last year. No, I don't remember how he got to Baltimore, but he did. And actually, he was probably the best player the Ravens had. He threw for two touchdowns. And I think, um, oh, what's his name? Murray? Murray had the other one for Baltimore. Let's look at that box score. Then I can actually sound confident and not be wrong and an idiot. Bengals 9-6. 10 in the first quarter. 21 in the second. That was the quarter that kind of did it. 3 in the third. 7 in the fourth for Cincinnati. For Baltimore, 7 in the first, second, and fourth. Ravens fall to 8 and 7 as Cincinnati 575 yards of total offense. Six penalties against Cincinnati to Baltimore 6. Bengals had more penalty yards against 45 to 27, but the Bengals held the ball more over 37 minutes to Baltimore's 23 just about. Joe Burrow, 525 yards through the air, four touchdowns, no picks, 37 of 46. Yeah, that sounds good. And it was actually Devontae Freeman with the touchdown, not Murray. Murray's on my fantasy team, so maybe that's why I want him to get a touchdown. I don't know. Rushing-wise, Joe Mixon had a touchdown, 65 yards on 18 rushes. Joe Burrow ran the ball twice for 11 yards. And Chris Evans, one yard, one touch. Let me see if he made a dent in the receiving core. He did not. Mm, that's a little disheartening. Rushing-wise for Baltimore, well, I mentioned Freeman had the touchdown, but he only ran for 17 yards. Murray, 12, and Johnson kept the ball five times for 10 yards. Needless to say, Baltimore's running game, combined that, that is 29, 39 yards. Hmm. Receiving-wise, Mark Andrews, well, He's a great tight end. And I wish the Bengals would learn how to block tight ends, but hey, I mean, we did win. Mark Andrews, 125 yards on eight catches, one touchdown. And the other touchdown going to Bateman for 26 yards, four catches. On the Cincinnati side, two touchdowns for T. Higgins. 12 catches, 194 yards. Jamar Chase not far behind at 125 yards, 7 catches, no touchdowns. Tyler Boyd a touchdown, 3 catches, 85 yards. Joe Mixon, 6 catches, 70 yards, 1 TD. Uzoma, 36 yards, 5 catches. Drew Sample, 9 yards, 2 catches. P. Ryan, 2 catches, 6 yards. So yeah, Joe Burrow was feeling it. And you can make the pointing to, well... Maybe Wink Martindale shouldn't have said he's not ready for a gold jacket. Which, yes, I got the I got the comment. And you know what? Joe Burrow used it for fuel. And you know what I like about Joe Burrow? He uses doubt as fuel. Kind of like me, except I am nowhere near successful as him. And probably won't ever be. So there you go. But, you know, Wink Martindale said that he's not ready for a gold jacket. And Joe Burrow took that to heart. 
Will he be ready for a gold jacket? I mean, if he keeps doing this, I can't see why not. I, But then again, it's the future. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't even know what tonight holds. A basketball game, but that's kind of cheating. But the way Burrow's just been able to handle himself, you know, I'm glad we drafted him. And I know there might be some Bengals fans out there who want Justin Herbert. And, you know, he's a good pick too. But just Burrow just fit like a glove. You know what I mean? From Ohio, from Athens, did go to that team in Columbus first, but uh, Scumbag Meyer decided, nope, going with Haskins. And what's Haskins doing? Oh, yeah, he's a third string for Pittsburgh because, you know, yeah, he's got a bad attitude. Or he could just be, you know, from Ohio State and, you know, the in the export of Ohio State is beating cupcakes and not being able to win big games. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> You're not in the playoffs. Shut up. Anyway, I'm glad we picked Burrow. He proved himself at LSU, won the Heisman, picked by Cincinnati. Yeah, he was injured for the season, week 11 last year against Washington. And I know the O-line still has its holes, but playing a lot better. And I think Frank Pollock is a big reason why. I mean, can it still be improved? You betcha. Offensive lines can always be improved, and it's probably one of the toughest things to play in football. You know, you battle in the trenches, and it's very physical. Down in the O-line, you're battling the D-line. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe running back's toughest. I don't know. I never got to play football. So if you play football, you can have an opinion here or just shout at me and, you know, all that type of goodness. So, yeah, I really like this season for the Bengals. Was I expecting it? Uh, I was hoping for it, but I wasn't really expecting it. I thought, you know, 500, which the Bengals are going to finish with an over 500 record. Remember, there are 17 weeks of football this year, so no 8-8 eight and eight record. So what's left for Cincinnati? Well, New Year's Day passed, which is Sunday the 2nd. Bengals will host Kansas City for their last home game of the regular season. And then on the ninth, at that team up north. I'm not talking about Michigan. I mean, I look at that Cleveland loss, and we just couldn't get anything right. That's off to Cleveland. They played lights out in that game. But us, just, you know, when Cleveland's playing that strong, you have to play that strong, too, to match up. And we just didn't. And I don't like making excuses. I hate excuses. You know, if we lose, we lose. There's reasons for that. The New York Jets lost. Yeah, it doesn't look good. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people are pointing out that contact on Mike Hilton. Yes, that was BS, the worldwide leader in BS. Oh, crap, I missed that joke. Anyway, but at the same time, there's points that you say, how do we not get here and hold the lead against the Jets? You know what I mean? Like, that one call doesn't ruin the game. No, if the Bengals keep the Jets off the board and keep them quiet, we don't have that talk. So, yeah, I really like this Bengals team. The defense is young, and they've been pretty strong. I I do like this Bengals team. And I also think that, you know, Zach Taylor's come a long, long way. There's some people that are still aren't sold on him. That's fine. But I think, you know, that's his first NFL head coaching job. He's got stuff to learn as well. Yes, you might make the point that you're in the NFL. You kind of need to know this stuff by that 
I mean, he was a coach for Sean McVay, and I know a lot of comments are saying he's diet McVay, which, eh, I, I don't know. But the biggest thing is players like him, they play hard for him. So I'm cool with Taylor. You know, he might make boneheaded plays sometimes, but what coach doesn't? Look at Bill Belichick. I mean, there's some plays that are like, wait, you're doing that? So, yeah, Bengals can win the AFC North with a win against Kansas City. This matchup scares me. If we were playing Kansas City from earlier this year, I would be pretty happy because Kansas City was just a rotten mess. However, Kansas City remembered, oh yeah, we're Kansas City, and they have looked pretty damn dominant this past few weeks. Can we beat them? Yeah, absolutely we can. Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback. Travis Kelsey, it's going to be a homecoming for him, you know, if he can play. I actually don't remember if he's off the COVID list or not. But Kansas City didn't have Kelsey in that crushing win against Pittsburgh. And yet, they still got along fine. It's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be two teams that I expect going down to the wire offensively. If it's going to be a defensive check, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be more offensively. So, two more games left, and still no one has locked up the AFC North. The AFC is just a big bloodbath. NFC is starting to form into shape. AFC worries me. I mean, what if the Bengals do go over two? You know, Cleveland's all banged up, but they're facing Cincinnati. They want to prove that, you know, they're not just lying down the gutter and dying. They still actually have a chance in the playoffs, but first they have to get by Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. If the Bengals want to be taken seriously, this is the type of game that can provide them all the legitimacy they need. Currently a five-point underdog at Bet MGM against the Chiefs, who currently look like the best team in the AFC. That's kind of my worry. However, with the Bengals, if they pick up an AFC win, it's a AFC North title and a big fork in their season. They'll be viewed as a dangerous playoff team. Now, this is the part where most people make fun of the Bengals. Yes, the past few years have been rough, and there's been no identity, and it's just looked so sloppy. But, you know, if the Bengals can shed the demons of the last playoff win being in 1990, I will definitely be happy with the season, and everything else is just icing on the cake. You know, I mean, this is the Bengals team I expected to see. Yes, there are still some deficiencies, but again, every team has those. You know, Burrow is not a deficiency. I don't think the running game should be a deficiency. Although Mixon only getting 65 yards. Oh, then again, Burrow kind of took over through the game, didn't he? So, you know, that's a bad example. I think the wide receiving core is great. Jamar Chase brings a lot. And you know what? I mentioned I was Team Sewell because I wanted to protect Burrow, but. I'm I'm glad I saw the other way and said, hey, you know, Chase is a special type of wide receiver. You don't necessarily get him at other points in the draft. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy. And the defense is looking good. It was, you know, Lou Amarillo's time to prove it or shut up because defense, a lot of money has been thrown on the field. And Trey Hendrickson, my God, record for most sacks. That's just outstanding. Dude is a great signing. And this is just his first year. He's still got three more in Cincinnati. Logan Wilson, it sounds like he might be coming back for Kansas City. 
which is nice. That'd be a nice touch. Uh, Awuzier, I mean, that's been a great signing. There's been a lot of great signings, you know? I, I, I think it's time to stop, you know, making fun of the Bengals of old. Because I really do think this is a Cincinnati Bengals franchise that have seen their ways and it's like, okay, we're going to do better. And, um, of course, there's still a lot more to prove. I mean, the ring of uh, ring of fame at Paul Brown Stadium is a nice touch. And it should have happened many, 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 many moons ago. Maybe, you know, before Paul Brown passed. But, you know, this future is bright for Cincinnati. And I invite, you know, all those that are tired of the Browns, underachieving, looking like absolute crap. You know, you can make the argument, oh, but we're injured to heck as well. Well, you also said you're going to the Super Bowl. It's like, we don't even need to play. Just play, put us in the Super Bowl. No. Again, no sympathy, Browns fans. Sorry, you lost it. Besides, this is the only outlet where I can actually see people talk positively about the Bengals. Lord knows the ever station, you know, Browns, you know, they're cheated by the NFL. Can we also talk about that? I mean, seriously, that happens to every team. I mentioned Mike Hilton against the Jets. Yeah, that was a crap call. Get over it. There's crap calls in the NFL. Referees do the best they can. You know, there's sometimes there's going to be crap calls. There's a couple uh, the game at Denver. There should have been late hits. There was one while I was driving on the Norwood lateral. They picked it up saying, no, it's not a late hit. And I looked at the replay when I got to the ESP Christmas party. It's like, yeah, probably should have been a late hit. But, you know, is what it is. You know, you can't always blame referees for your problems. No, look deeper. Try better. Try harder. Try better. Do better. There you go. The Chiefs need to keep winning, too, because the Chiefs lost to Tennessee earlier in the season. They don't have much margin for error for the number one seed. Kansas City leads the Titans by one game for the best record in the AFC. And win out is the only cure for the Chiefs. Like I said, Kansas City, really tough team. And that's going to be a big matchup for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Someone put doubt in Burrow's head so he could throw for like 600 yards against the Chiefs. <laughs> Please. No, I, I expect a really good game. I don't expect a blowout. I I can see Kansas City winning. I can see Cincinnati winning. It's those type of games. Yes, the Bengals are looked as the underdog because Kansas City is back to form, you know, before the Super Bowl last year. But how can you ignore the Bengals? We're back. It's time to respect Cincinnati. No more bungles. No more Mike Brown jokes. No more. Or else we'll start going back to Factory of Sadness jokes. How's last place taste down there, Browns fans? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blame the refs for that. You know, instead of running the ball with Nick Chubb against the Packers, which was working well, you go to the air, and you know Baker Mayfield is like the character in SpongeBob SquarePants where he's just, just a body cast with an IV, and he sounds like he's just glass bones. I still think they should have rest Baker Mayfield for longer. Yes, I know. He wants to compete. And all this talk about Baker Mayfield isn't the guy. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I, I, every quarterback's entitled to bad games. He has four picks. That's not going to win you much games. But 
I don't know. I mean, the dudes embrace Cleveland. So maybe don't be so quick to boot him off to Lake Erie. Mm. I say that and he throws like 20 touchdowns against the Bengals. Like, why did I say that last week? Ugh. Also, yes, I did see on Twitter before recording, Bart Scott seems to suggest a bounty on Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow after Ravens' comments. Ravens, do you remember last year getting all pissy because of the fact that the Bengals kicked a field goal to end the game, losing by, what was it, 37-7? Something like that? 34-37-7? It wasn't close. Baltimore won that game easily. Remember complaining about that? Now you're complaining that the Bengals take it back to you? Huh? Just, you know. And apparently, you know, today, this is from Deacon A. Deacon underscore A. Scott on Twitter. This is from today. Have you all seen this this morning? Angry red face. I didn't even play the entire video. Bot Scott went way too far with this. He's basically putting a bounty on Joe Burrow for the rest of his career when they play the Ravens. And, of course, Bart Scott, a former linebacker for Baltimore, he said the order has been sent. And, you know, I don't know what to think about that. I mean, I I know Baltimore and Pittsburgh are going to have chips on their shoulders because, you know, Joe Burrow has completely beat them and trashed them this year, which is great because, you know, how about that AFC North dominance? Now, if we didn't lose to Cleveland, 5-0 AFC North record, that would have been good. But we kind of got trashed by Cleveland in Cincinnati. So, you know, look, look at the video at your own time. Uh, take it for what you will, but eh, it's, it's not great. It's not a great clip. So, shame on you, Bart Scott. It's not like Joe Burrow gets roughed up enough anyway. You know? Last year, it got hit plenty of times, which, again, the O-line was a sieve last year. This year, it's a lot better. Still needs work, but it's a lot better. Trust me. So, my thoughts about the Bengals being great? Well, no matter what, when I'm in the car, I got Dan Horton, Day Lapham on the radio. But it's great to hear them in HD radio clarity and the Bengals on top of the AFC North. Here's a big hootay! For you Bengals fans. Hootay! And finally, on this episode, it's time to talk about the best Division I football team in Ohio. Now, I say best Division I because Mountain Union, they're always terrific. But they're in D3, so that's why I say D1. I wish they were closer to the area because that'd be neat to talk about such a dominant football program and probably the best in Ohio. Take that, that team in Columbus fans. Mount Union constantly gets to the championship round. You guys don't. Anyway, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Man, this is such a special year for Cincinnati sports. You know, the Reds didn't choke away. What was it? A 69.5% chance to the playoffs? Was it even 75? It, it was somewhere up there. If they didn't blow that chance and St. Louis won like 20 plus some games in a row, you know. Some of it, the Reds choked. Some of it, the Cardinals came back to life. It's like, hey, look at us. You know, the Reds, if FC Cincinnati, you know, would get their stuff together, which I think it's a start. I don't know if 2022 is going to bring a lot of great results, but it'll get there. But man, what a special year for Cincinnati. Both football teams are great. And 
yeah, both teams are doing stuff. Now we're talking about the Bearcats. And this article from Kurt Hebstreet, Herbstreet, Hebstreet, where did that come from? Kurt Herbstreet on Cincinnati. Bearcats not carrying the flag for a group of five teams. <laughs> Sour grapes. Your team's not in the playoffs. Oh, how about your fans not making the trip out to the Rose Bowl? It's going to be mostly Utah Utes fans, which is just outstanding. I thought your fans traveled well. Oh, you just realized your team isn't as good? Maybe don't play Mac teams exclusively. Oh. And no, you don't have to be a fan of that team in Columbus because the first word in their name is Ohio. You don't have to. If you want to do that, fine. But get out of my face when you talk about that stuff. Anyway, at least they weren't until the University of Cincinnati football team crashed the college football playoffs. They're the first ever non-Power 5 team to earn a spot in the national semis since the sport moved to its current format in 2014. There are people that view Cincinnati's performance against top-ranked Alabama as a referendum on group of five programs, though the Bearcats will join the Big 12 in a couple of years, so they're going to be big time anyway. Alabama is a 13.5-point favorite, the largest spread amongst any bowl game. Now, I'm not going to you know, pull the wool over your eyes. Alabama is going to be a tough, tough team to play. Nick Saban... He's got a well-oiled machine. That Alabama squad just churns out so many NFL talent, just turns out so many wins. Just, it is a great Alabama squad. And before I hear, they play cupcakes too, you play exclusively cupcakes. Sit down. You're not in the playoffs. So Kirk's quote is actually this. I'm not saying Cincinnati is carrying the flag for the group of five, but you know how the world works. That will be the perception because it is the perception. Kirk, stop having grower, grower grapes, sour grapes. This is the part of the podcast episode where I forget how to talk. Thank you. Yeah, that's not sour grapes at all, Kirk. Get over it. They lay an egg or they get blown out. There would be many that say, see, I told you all along. My colleague Lee Corso doesn't think Cincinnati should even be in discussion like anybody from the group of five. So why have the playoffs then? You know, you want to make it fair. Oh, no, you just want the big boys in there because you can just, you know, power around that, you know, that team in Columbus is the best team, although their, you know, schedule is, oh, cupcake is so overused. Um, Lightweight, let's say a paper towel that's soaking wet against a 20-ton truck, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, if that team in Columbus got blown out, then, you know, what are you going to say? Oh, it's just Alabama. No, look at your program. Get tougher. Do better. So, yeah, sour grapes to say the least. You know, forget about the wins at Notre Dame and at Indiana. And yeah, you can throw the Buckeyes winning bigger at against Indiana, which, you know, who gives a crap? You weren't even playing their quarterback one. You know, how about how about this? Be happy for Cincinnati because eventually, you know, seeing how they do in the Big 12, eventually they're going to come back as a Big 12 member. I know Big 12 is going to be a lot tougher than the AAC. You don't have to throw that in my face. And I think it's a great step up for UC. Absolutely. You know, I think I think it was time for Cincinnati to, you know, 
rise up to a bigger conference. I always like Cincinnati in the Big East, and I don't have a problem with the AAC. I really don't. That's a good conference. But at the same time, when you're comparing SEC, Big 12 to AAC football schedule, yeah, AAC is weaker, to say the least. So what can we say more about Luke Fickle? Just the job he did and just having Cincinnati able to win the AAC title at Nippert Stadium, one more send-off for the fans. And I know those fans are going to travel to catch, you know, Cincinnati Tech on Alabama. And also, Jerome Ford, he mentioned to the press earlier, don't call me the Alabama transfer, call me a Cincinnati Bearcat. That dude gets it. That dude has embraced Cincinnati. And I love hearing him run, because most of the times I listen to games on radio. Dan Hoard does an amazing job. I don't care if you've seen the Bengals go, oh, and... 30. I don't care. I'm listening because I think that highly of Dan Horde. But anyway, is it going to be tough for UC to beat Alabama? You bet. Is it possible? You bet. I mean, last year, Alabama, they were just crushing everyone. So I don't know if that would have been possible last year, but I really like, I really like the Bearcats to hang tough. Maybe not win, but you know, they're not as weak as you think. Because, oh, they're not that team in Columbus, you know? Let's talk more about the Cotton Bowl, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. Goodyear's a tire. It's not cotton. Get out of here. So it's going to happen tomorrow, Friday the 31st, 2.30 at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, which isn't that, uh, no, that's not Jerry World, is it? I don't know. Alabama's coming in 12-1, and 7-1 on the year. The first, actually the last time these two teams met, you have to turn the calendars back to November 17th, 1990. When, yeah, Cincinnati football, more of an afterthought, getting into basketball. I think Bob Huggins was at UC at the time. I think. Alabama blew out the Bearcats 45-7 to on November 17th, 1990. I would have been two back then, and I didn't get into sports until about middle school. But they're calling for Alabama to be the... Uh, top dog by 13 and a half points, like I mentioned. The winner will get a trip to the national championship to either face number two Michigan or number three Georgia on January the 10th. Why wait so long? It's just, I know, football players definitely need it, and you get more opportunities to, you know, actually rest your players and have everyone healthy for, you know, the biggest showing in college football, but it's so far away. It's so far away, and I I need to change my calendar. So the biggest question, is Alabama truly college football's number one team? Until they're knocked off, I say yes. Was our dominant performance against Georgia a fluke of sorts? Five one-score games, a mid-season loss at Texas A&M, a shaky secondary, and overall inconsistent play have polluted what could end as a championship season for Alabama. So yeah, this Crimson Tide team, it's not as strong as last year when they had about six trillion billion wide receivers that can just come at you and just, it was an air attack all the way. You know, students graduate, athletes graduate, that's college programs, and some get drafted. Devonta Smith, he's with um, um, Philadelphia. So 
maybe that's the key for Cincinnati to attack. Get against that secondary and have Desmond Ritter do his thing. Jerome Ford mix in with a running game. You know, I I think Cincinnati has a shot. You know, I'm glad they did put Cincinnati in. I was worried. Even after the Michigan loss and not getting to the Big Ten championship. I mean, what was that one year that OSU didn't even get into the Big Ten championship and yet they still got in the playoffs, even though Penn State won the title? It was like, nah, we didn't want Ohio State and then they get crushed. I think it's the year they got crushed. So, again, yeah, I think the Bearcats have a shot. I mean, I think both teams have a shot. Alabama is Alabama. You know the Crimson Tide. Cincinnati, I think. You know, I'm I'm really, really thinking they do have a shot. So we'll see how it goes again tomorrow, 2.30. Uh, local radio it should be on 700. Hopefully it's on 700. That'll be my drive home from this next topic. The Gem City Jam is back. Settle down. It's not men's basketball. It's women's basketball. And I know what you're saying. Women's basketball is not a sport. It's not a Shut up. Okay, just shut up. It is a sport, and those women play as hard as the men do. One thing I don't like about women's basketball is the fact that they go to four 10-minute quarters. It's not two 20-minute halves. Why change that? Why make it so different? You know what I mean? Yes, I know there's positives for, you know, 10 minutes. It's closer to the high school game, but at the same time, eh, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. So. Right State Dayton, Right State Dayton, Right State Dayton, Right State Dayton. They're going to be playing baseball twice. I say are going to play, but, you know, COVID's still a thing. Oh, yeah, it's spring in Ohio. It's going to be, like, downpouring those days, isn't it? Oy. So, Wright State will visit Dayton. This is the first time since 2014 the women's basketball teams are meeting up. It'll be Shauna Green's first look at Wright State and Carrie Hoffman, her first year at Wright State, looking at UD. Of course, Carrie Hoffman coming over from Cedarville. It's been a rough start for Wright State, but then again, when you lose all of your weapons and, you know, the few that stuck around, a few leaving in the middle of the season, that doesn't help either. Also, women's basketball for Wright State has been just pummeled with COVID. Now, I read on the Dayton Daily News article that David Jablonski shared, I don't know if he wrote it, that most of the women's basketball team at Wright State is unvaccinated. I'm not getting into politics. Get vaccinated. There we go. I mean, there's no... there's No, I'm not getting into it. So Friday, December 31st, Wright State at Dayton... New Year's Eve at noon. You can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Also, if you're in the area, 1660 AM has all the Dayton Flyers women's basketball games. If you're not in the area, I think it's 1660.info, and you can listen to it online. But then again, ESPN+, Plus, you can watch it. So let me tell you about Wright State Dayton, why there's such a long break in between these meetings. I looked at the Dayton Flyers press release and it said the last game was at Wright State and Dayton won by three. I think it was 79-76. I was at that game, actually. It was a really good battle. I was the only one that wore Wright State and Dayton stuff. So there you go. Take that. I was representing my alma mater and my employer at the time. I don't think I was working at Wright State quite yet. It would be that spring. Anyway, that's not important. What is important is... Yeah, one of the last matches, UD ran up the score. 
quite badly. It was 135 to 83, 87, one of those. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while. Now, why is this happening? Well, both teams, their opponents, COVID shut down. For Wright State, they were supposed to be at UIC, and uh, UIC actually got a no contest in that because horizontally what they're doing, if 100% of the team is vaccinated and still COVID wrecks, then okay, that's fine. If you're not all vaccinated, then it's a forfeit, meaning Wright State's uh, first two looks in the Horizon League end up being forfeit losses because, oh yeah, Wright State is mostly unvaccinated, which um not going to get into that. It's not my place. Get vaccinated. So... Yeah, Gem City Jam. I honestly love that Wright State and Dayton are starting to play each other and everything again. Uh, volleyball starting to do it. This is second year now that Wright State Dayton's played, and Wright State actually picked up a win this year. So that's a nice win for the Raiders. You know, uh, Dayton Flyers, A10 champs again. So there's, if Wright State continues their path up on volleyball with Valley Matters, and of course, you know, Tim Horsman stays put. There's no reason why the two best D1 volleyball teams in Southwest Ohio. Well, Miami's really good, too. <laughs> OK, there shouldn't be a reason why Wright State and Dayton don't play each other. Also, soccer teams. There's no reason Wright State and Dayton shouldn't play each other. There we go. I have an opinion on this and I kind of wish all sports played. But, you know, it is what it is. Let's look at the Dayton press release. There we go. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering about the series, uh, it's all Dayton. I believe the total series is, what, 36 to 4? But I was a freshman the last time Wright State won. And, oh, at UD Arena, Wright State has never won there. So, yeah. UD has that series pretty locked up. Now, if I can talk about men's basketball, this is the part you can mute for about a minute. I won't take too long. UD leads that series 5-3. to three. Why is UD and Wright State not playing this year? I think this year, if UD played like they did upsetting Kansas and winning that tournament in Florida, that's an easy flyer win. Just because Wright State, I mean, if Wright State plays the way it did against NC State, and I don't know. Honestly, these are two great D1 teams, and there's no reason, no solid reason. And I know UD is a great program, and really, Dayton doesn't have a lot to gain from playing Wright State, and if Wright State happened to win at UD, it's like, hmm, not the best program in town, are you? I get that, but I still think it's a crap reason. Honest to goodness. There are so many great organizations in Dayton. You know, help feed the hungry. There's no reason why you can't get Mike Sells or any Dayton company that I'm not thinking of to help chime in and make that a yearly thing. Look in Cincinnati, the Crosstown Showdown. Showdown or shootout? Shootout. Showdown's for football. That's for high school football. I should know because normally I get a game every year for that. Look at that. I mean, UC was nowhere near up to par against Xavier. I mean, Xavier looks really darn good. Now, the problem is, win at Villanova, then, you know, we can talk about Big East, you know, title. But, hey, Xavier had a great team, and I'm glad first-year head coach Wes Miller actually got into it. Again, I'd love to see Anthony Grant lead his Flyers against, you know, Scott Nagy. And I, I know there's a lot of people that don't want it, but 
why? No, right, State's pretty good in the Horizon League. I mean, with the exception of this year, they're normally towards the top of the Horizon League. This year in the net rankings of the Horizon League, uh, one thing is clear. Don't ask. <laughs> it, it's really bad. I mean, Wright State had a really tough start, and just I, I didn't think losing Loud and Love would be that big of a catastrophe, but it just Wright State didn't have an identity, and then picking up a couple nice wins, you know? Hey. I mean, the Akron game, no, it wasn't great. I thought they won the game before NC State. But then here comes Wright State at NC State and just bam. It's like, where did that come from? <laughs> so that's my take. You can have your take. I'm done talking about Wright State Dayton men's. Although I shouldn't be, but I am. So the women will play tomorrow at noon. And, you know, Wright State's still trying to find an identity. Not a lot of pieces remaining from last year. Angel Baker is at Old Miss. Most of the team went down to Memphis with Katrina Merriweather. I would love to see Shauna Green's Flyers take on Katrina Merriweather's team. Especially last year. Could you imagine that? That might have been Wright State's first win at UD if they played at UD Arena. But I say might. Because, you know, Dayton's still a great team. We got, they got Aaron Whalen, who's a great shooter. Ariana Bradshaw. Ariane, Ariana, Bradshaw, she's a great point guard. I mean, these these teams are great. And definitely, if you're not doing anything New Year's Eve at noon, head to UD Arena. Tickets are cheap. I think they're like five bucks. There, there's no reason not to see this game. Okay? Put away your it's women's basketball viewpoint and go watch Wright State Dayton. Or if you're that into not liking women's basketball because your sexist views get in the way of enjoying sports, then uh, wait till baseball season because Wright State is supposed to host Dayton the first full week of March at Nishwood Stadium. Now, probably be a three o'clock game because, you know, it's cold in March. And then in April, Dayton hosts Wright State. And hopefully that time the game doesn't get canceled because of a wet infield. That broke my heart that that got. You know, I, I haven't talked about college basketball. That's next episode, maybe. I haven't talked about college basketball, so I'm going to go straight to college baseball because that's the type of podcaster I am. Why isn't Wright State and Dayton playing at Dayer Ballpark? You know, I mean, I, I am, I'm grateful Dayton is getting a chance at Dayer Ballpark with that team in Columbus. A uh, couple A-10 squads, I think VCU. And oh, who was the other one? It was UMass, and then it turns out Dragons are playing that day. Oh, you can look at DaytonFlyers.com. Schedule's up. Why isn't Dayton and Wright State playing there? You know? Have a three-game series there. Have a doubleheader there. That'd be great. Put me as the announcer. That'd be great. Uh, we're both things. Well, actually, it depends who's home team on both. But, yeah. Why isn't that a thing? You know? Best ballpark in Dayton, and Dayton's on the up and up. Wright State's been a strong D1 contender for many, many years now. Why not? Now, I just wish Wright State softball would return so that, um, you know, we could have that series again, but uh, we'll see. This is the last year Wright State can be under the D1 line of having 
uh, teams, Wright State needs two more women and one more men's sport, which that's a topic on the message boards, rightstate.proboards.com, about what should Wright State add. And people still want football. I mean, there's not a lot of teams that profit from football. And where are you going to build the field? Hmm? I mean, yeah, you can have non-scholarship. I mean, I, I guess. But it's the cost. I mean, whew. I mean, lacrosse has been added, or not added, has been talked about because really all you need to do is paint lines at alumni field, and there you go. That's regulation size. You can start off as non-scholarship. Right, states had club lacrosse for quite some time. I mean, when I was there, they had club lacrosse. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> the selfish part of me wants hockey, but I know that's not happening anytime soon. Although that'd be great. I mean, put ice back in the Nutter Center, you know? But again, I know that's not happening because club hockey hasn't been a thing at Wright State in years because of low numbers. It makes me sad. So that will do it. I would like to finish off the episode saying Happy New Year. Sorry it took about a month to get the new episode out, but it is nice to talk local sports with you. Next episode I mentioned might be the college basketball roundup featuring all the teams in Southwest Ohio. Or it might be time to grind my axe because um, radio-wise, Wright State games are now back on 980 for the first time in quite some time. Which, actually, I don't mind that. It's the sports station, and it's nice that there's actually, you know, local sports on 980. You really can't call yourself Dayton Sports Station, but now you have Wright State, so that's nice. Not sure what they're going to do about Miami Redhawks games, but... Maybe they don't clash in. I don't know. Be Dayton Sports Station. You had a local talk show again, but, you know, don't want to go down that path. That might be the next episode because, yeah, I've had enough, you know, and I got comments saying that you should stop bashing Dayton Radio. I'm like, no, I've been out of Wright State for over 11 years now. And every time I applied to a job at iHeart and was mainline, now Alpha, every time I apply to radio stations around here, I get turned down for no reason. It's like, ah, nah, 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 you know, that's crap. And I'm tired of it. So it's time to grind my axe. That might be the next episode. And again, it's not going to be personal. It's going to be the good, honest truth. Dayton Sports Radio could be a hell of a lot better. And I absolutely mean a hell of a lot better. If you want to talk about that team in Columbus, that's your right. But remember, you're in Dayton, Ohio. You're not in Columbus. Remember that. So that concludes episode 225. Happy 2021 ending. And here's to 2022. We'll talk to you again next time on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure to bookmark Sindaypod.com, spelled C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D, the official website of the podcast. You can find your favorite ways of listening to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. You can also purchase merchandise from Tee Public and Redbubble to help support the podcast. 
Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod, and the host at The Lee W. Mowen. The closing theme is Cosmopolitan from Pecan Pie on Upbeat. This is Lee W. Mowen signing off another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Thank you for your continued listenership and join me on the next episode.